T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Trish is in. We're going to take a step away from all of the hard-hitting news. That's not true. We're talking about super hard-hitting news right now. We're talking about deep-seated fears of mine. You have one of them right now in your hands or in your head. In my head. It's <laughs> vertigo. I have one of those headaches where every time you stand up, you get kind of dizzy and I don't know, you know, that your like vision kind of goes in and out. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I've had that a lot. But anytime I have two things, there, there are things that I'll get. I mean, I'm a health mess. Like, I mean, I've got cystic fibrosis. I've got all kinds of weird stuff. Hypoglycemia, among random other things. I mean, everybody's got stuff, but I've got some like. You got a list. I got though. a list mm-hmm. and I've got a, a, I'm a pill popper for sure. I've got like a huge case in the morning that I'm taking. You're multicolors. like born a grandma with a pill exactly. case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Even though I hate those things and I tend to not use them, I know that I should because then I won't forget. They're and very I do. convenient. Oh, they totally are. When you get to be older, you're probably taking more and more pills, and when I probably should 90. do it. When you're 90. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but, but the things that scare me about getting older are, A, incurable vertigo. Because if I ever have it, I'm like, if this doesn't go away, I'm going to fall over and die. I cannot live my life like this even for a minute. I mean, I'm super dramatic about vertigo. Have you ever had vertigo? Yeah, but it doesn't last long. Because when it does, I'm like, if this isn't cured right now, I am quitting my job, I'm quitting my family, and I am moving to an island, and I'm going to lay on my back. Like, How are you going to get to all those places? Somebody will cart me around. Okay. The government. The government's going to pick you up. The government's going to pick me up. From where you are on the spot. Yeah. Put you on a gurney. I'm going to tell them. Contact your family. Yes. Your employer. That's fine, too. Purchase you an airline ticket. Yes. Lay you down on an airplane. (laughs) In the aisle. In the aisle, obviously. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Fly you to an island. 
if I'll just say this, the part of this that scares me is not the vertigo part. The part is how do they get the cart past me in the aisle? I'm scared about how you get the gov- how the government doing this. <laughs> so, what button do you press for them to show up and do all this? Cradle to grave, baby. You know how I I, I treat the government that like it should be as big as possible and take care of all of our needs. You know that. You're right. And so you've got them on call. You know, Most right. people's SOS or their emergency contact is their significant other, yeah. maybe a parent, a, right, a child. Um, yeah. My, my Yours whole, just says government. My whole purpose in working here is to get close to government officials so that I don't have to go through the underlings. I can just call the Secretary of State, be like, dude, I got some stomach cramps. <laughs> <laughs> the vertigo is sticking around this time. It's so real. Help. I, oh, my gosh. I, I feel so weird. I, the, the walls are spinning. Somebody call Jay Ashcroft. <laughs> <laughs> I want cradle to grave care. But that's the actually the other one is if my stomach hurts or I feel not it's nauseous actually specifically. Mm-hmm. If I feel nauseous, I'm like same thing, put me on a plane, send me away, I'm never coming back. If this isn't cured immediately, I'm going to die. Those two things scare the crap out of me about getting older. And I don't know that I actually think that I will get them, but if I get them, I'm like, if the rest of my life is like this, I can't function ever. I will never do anything. It scares me. So if you have it right now. Well, I do have the vertigos coming in and out, but I guess I now now know my options. Uh, I was thinking Excedrin, (laughs) but you've given me a lot to ponder. Yeah, you should think about that. But dude, did we ever talk about the extreme lower back pain I had post-COVID? Do you think and it was a COVID symptom? I don't know. It just went away. Wait, like now? Like during this interview? Right now? <laughs> no, for months and months. This like when did you have COVID? I had it was it a in, couple months ago. No, right? I had it in August though, the first time. Okay. So the second time I had it was within a six month window. Six, yeah, eight yeah, month it was window. Weird. It was really sh- quickly back to back. Yeah. But there was probably four or five months after. Four months after. COVID specifically, like if you track the dates where I had this back pain that would not go away. And then one day it was gone. Did you notice? I mean, I thought I was dying. Like I thought I had stomach cancer. Wait, this I is thought within, I had bone cancer. I thought I had. This is like I got recent. A specialist. This is within you and I's friendship. Yeah. And I didn't even know Do this was happening. Do you remember when I was like, I think I'm sick. I think I need to go to the hospital. Kinda. It was all part of that, but there was this like okay. persistent back pain that went along with it. You are a hider, aren't you? And it one day just went away. Do you tell people about your problems mm. or do you kind of conceal them? I am an open book on a lot of things, but I don't want to worry people. So if it's something that happened in the past, I'm like, yeah, that happened. I'll talk about it. I'm not ashamed to talk about things or scared to talk about things, but I also don't want to put things in people's head. Well, I'm not talking about about emotional things as much as if you're having a a, a problem, a health problem, are you like, no, I'm fine. Because I know a lot of people's parents were that way. Mm -hmm. My my dad's that way. He won't ever tell you if he has a problem. I can fight in, but I'm not going to go around person to person, but it's to protect people from worrying. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Because I, and it may be because growing up with CF, I was... I mean, literally kind of a make a wish kid where they would, when I was little, they would say, you know, cause the life expectancy for me with CF was 20 mm-hmm. at the time. And the older I got, the better the treatments got throughout the eighties and nineties. And my life expectancy just kept increasing to where now I'm actually, I think 
past it or right at it. Uh, but it's, it kind of goes with me. I can, at whatever age I'm at, that the national average for CF patients just kind of keeps rising. And it's because of great treatments and people donating to that cause and, you know, great stuff. There's a CF foundation probably in every city. There's one in St. Louis, and they do great work. I remember growing up reading um, <coughs> reading about CF specifically. And then when I met you, I thought, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even I didn't know. Yeah, you know? well, that's what everybody does, and it's it's a weird thing because you can have different um, mutations, mm-hmm. and most people have what's called a de- delta F five hundred eight. I'm getting really into the in the weeds here, but that's seventy five percent of all CF patients have that mutation, and that's one of the worst. I don't have that one, so I've got different ones that one of them's kind of bad, but the other one's not as bad. And so I've had I've been blessed to be able to have treatments that other people have not had or not not have them as quickly that helped me kind of stave off right when I was starting to get bad in my early 20s um, is right when I started on an experimental drug study that really lifted me back up and it's helped me maintain a decent health. What a blessing. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it, here's another thing. Okay, super personal, but when they called me and said, "Hey, you got into this drug study." First of all, I was like, "Thank God." Because there was no guarantee. I mean, you're just applying to be in a drug study. Well, among all CF patients in the country, only 5% had the genetic mutation combination that would apply for this drug study. I was one. But that didn't mean you got in. It just meant you were eligible. So then I applied to get in, went through the, st- the thing. They said, yes, you are going to be in it. Oh, my gosh, thank God. Then you have a, a 50% chance of being on the placebo. I was just going to ask <laughs> yeah. that. Was it one of those where, like, it could be real, it could not be it's real? A, it's called a double blind. Yeah. Where you, and you, they don't tell you as the patient because it's a study. So you can't know whether you're on it. They just give you the pill. And you go, okay, I'm going to take it. And then they kind of do tests. They monitor you to make you know see how you're doing. I knew day one that I was on the actual drug. Because of the way you felt? Because I felt. Boom, so much better. And I went and told my nurses, and they're like, well, okay, don't ever say that again because we're supposed to be unbiased and we're not supposed to know. We're just supposed to look at the data. And I'm like, okay, I'll never tell you again that I am definitely on that drug. I am on that drug. (laughs) I feel great. Yeah, so it's a super personal thing. But, um, yeah, it's the reason that I've even – it's – gosh, I'm actually getting a little bit emotional about it because I I wouldn't have kids – Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, I, I had just been married when I started to get really bad. Sorry, I'm <laughs> tearing no, up a little bit. No, it's okay. It's... Um, yeah, I had just gotten married and um, I didn't know, I, I thought that was maybe the best I was going to get. And I remember going and doing, I used to do sketch comedy and stuff. And I remember going to Chicago and I, I was getting so sick uh, and <laughs> um, that I couldn't really, um, <clears throat> I couldn't speak very well. I mean, when I he- when you hear me do that <clears throat> thing. That's because of CF. So if you didn't know that, that's why I do that. So it's, it's not a great industry to get into. <laughs> like when you're, I'll go into broadcasting. Yeah, here's what I'll do. I'll go into a, <laughs> something where I, I can never, ever clear my throat. Um, and I just do it anyway. And we just get by. Um, but I, I went to Chicago to shoot a couple sketches. And I honestly thought this is probably the last thing that I'll ever get to really do. Because I'm getting so bad. And mm-hmm. I was sweating almost all the time because I was so sick. And it was weird because it was like I was always so sick that you just got used to being sick. And you that's the way. It was like if you had a cold, but you had never known what it was like to not have a cold. That's what it was like. And so your body was constantly fighting off infection. And so I went up there. I would do a take. And 
I would immediately step away and basically like collapse because I was so tired that I thought, okay, if I can get through these though, I'll have some record of the fact that I existed. <laughs> Not that there was none until then, but it was like, I love doing comedy. I love doing this stuff. Not that it's going to change the world, but at least my wife will maybe have something from that moment that sure. she can look back on. And mm-hmm. you can actually look it up if you want to go online right now. I think that stuff still exists. If you type in Matlock apartment, it's a sketch that I wrote and was in and I look fine in it. But when the camera would go off, I would just collapse on the couch. That and, is uh, so scary. Yeah, it was. And but I had also been told my whole life, like that's coming, mm-hmm. you know. And so I so was you were resolved. I was almost to resigned to, mm-hmm. oh, this is that now. So I'll just do my best. And I had just started working actually at Joy FM at the time, and I thought, well, at least I'll, <clears throat> you know, have something to my name that I like did broadcast for a little bit or, or whatever. I don't know that anybody remember me, but. I'll probably die within about five years is what I thought. And I was like, eh, that's that's what I've been told would happen. And I don't know. It, it's weird for me to say this because I know that this didn't happen for a lot of people, but um, God didn't allow that to happen. And when I go to speak to CF groups, I'm very careful to say he blessed me with that. And I understand that maybe he didn't bless your kid with that because some people are there and they've lost kids and they've lost family members. And I have to say, I don't know why. I do know that he did that for me and that's a huge part of it for me is to know that I, it's one of the reasons that I really am not afraid of a lot of things is because I'm like, well, what's the worst that yeah. could happen now? I, I could be dead, you know? So, uh, I don't know, weird, uh, sort of discussion. I didn't intend it happening, but I'm also afraid of vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything except for stomach cramps and vertigo. <laughs> And I love big government. That's what I need you to take away. Did you have anything else for this? I had a ton. I had so much. Questions. We can keep going down this road if you want to. But also, I think we started with something else. Well, here's okay. Here's the deal. Let's take a quick break. I do want to do some like actual news for a minute, and then we're going to talk to Austin Ruse about the row stuff. And I love having him on. He's a he's from CFAM. He's the president of CFAM. A lot, of, a lot of insights into Roe versus Wade and everything. So let's do that. And then we'll come back. Is that cool? Sounds great. Okay. Hang on. Wiggins America. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Wiggins America. Row is side. We're going to put Row on the side burner for a second because we're going to talk to Austin Ruse coming up next from CFAM. Great guest. We've had him on before. He's going to break down some of the Row stuff, of course, because that's, that's the headline. But Big news out of the Supreme Court this week, aside from Roe. So these are ones that, I don't know, it it, it seems like more people are paying attention right now just because of the headline. And these stories are getting more attention than they normally would if it was just a normal session. So the Supreme Court has ruled in a Maine case, Maine the state, uh, that they cannot exclude religious schools from taxpayer-funded tuition programs. So what was going on is, as I understand it, a lot of Maine is pretty rural, and some districts didn't even have a high school. So they started a voucher program, which is very similar to, I don't even think they intended it to be this way, but it was just because of the rural schools, which is surprising because aren't how many states have rural schools? It's not just Maine. So I'm not sure why this affected Maine the most or if it was just because Maine decided to push back on this and a lot of the more rural schools or rural states don't. But those who lived outside of where a normal high school district would be would get a voucher from the state to cover the costs of going to a different school. So some people wanted to go to, I think, mostly Christian schools, but they just said religious schools. And Maine said, no, 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 you can use the vouchers for anything but a religious school. Well, that's a problem. That's a First Amendment problem. And the uh, free exercise of religion or the prohibition thereof. So they took it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court this week decided Maine can't do that. If you're going to give vouchers, you're going to give them to people and let them spend them how they want. You can't, you can't discriminate against a school just because it's religious. Now, Missouri actually had a Supreme Court case that was similar to this, but not quite as far there was, I think it was either state money or federal money being allocated to certain parks and schools for things that weren't necessarily related to school. They weren't related to the education itself. It was just like amenities, playground equipment, stuff like that. And religious schools were exempted from the grant money. And they said, well, we're being excluded because of our religious beliefs, took it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, we agree. So this is kind of a furtherance of that. But it's a big, big deal. I always say that election integrity, and we, we kind of use the quote, election integrity, to talk about so many things. We're talking about making sure there's no cheating in elections and making sure that anybody who wants to vote can and that nobody who cannot vote in whatever election it is can. It's very, very simple, but... Obviously difficult to implement, especially when there's so much pushback. So that to me is number one issue. But this one really is right there among the one or two others outside of that one to me that are very, very important. And that is school choice. School choice, if implemented correctly, will change this nation completely. It'll change what parents can do. It'll change 
the uh, it'll give the power back to parents in how they educate their kids because right now, unless you're wealthier or at least middle class to higher middle class, we'll say. You can't really afford to send your kids to private school. You got to have enough money to do that, especially if you have multiple kids. If you have one, you could probably make it work. If you have more than one, it gets very expensive very fast. And Christian schools are not public schools. You have to pay for the most part to go to Christian schools unless you get grant money. So, allowing parents if voucher systems were to go into place, which is the way school choice would probably happen, allowing parents to pick their education for their kids and the way their kids are educated is monumental to the future of this country. I think you understand that. We all understand that. And I don't know why anybody would be against that, putting the power in the hands of the parents rather than the government. Because right now, if you can't afford it, the government gets to decide how your kid is educated. That's not good. This would change that. And, of course, this Supreme Court ruling lays the groundwork for that to happen across the whole country, and it's very, very exciting. Furthermore, I didn't mean to spend the whole segment on this topic because there's others. There's a uh, gun law, too, that I wanted to talk about. But furthermore, if this were implemented, it not only creates choice for parents and gives the power to the parents and how their kids are educated, but it also creates competition among schools and may the best school win, right? So it's going to the rising tide lives all boats thing. If you have really good schools doing really good, then your average school is going to have to up their game to keep up. And they're going to have to compete for you to want to send your kids there. I think that benefits private schools. Because right now there's no culpability really for anything in public schools. The teachers unions, which at one time were a good thing, have become so, we saw this throughout the pandemic, really not for kids at all. And and in a lot of cases, not necessarily even for teachers They're just an extension of the power administration, the state itself, to where this is now a protection for you as an average person, average teacher, and certainly for an average student. So breaking those things down and those power structures would be terrific. And ultimately, right now, who's defending our education system anyway? Who's going, wow, if you send your kids to an inner city or eat the exact opposite, deeply rural, very poor community. Who's going, oh, those are great schools. We got to preserve that. Why would you want to preserve what we have right now? You got kids falling through the cracks all over the place. Ask a teacher whether they do more babysitting or teaching in a public school. I I think you probably know the answer already, but go ahead and ask. I'm not going to put words in their mouth. So anyway, I say that to say that there is another Supreme Court case that I did want to get to real quick here, a 6-3 ruling this week. The court has struck down New York's concealed carry law. So without getting into the gory details of this, just basically New York was one of those states. Now, gun rights have been protected by courts uh, over the last 50 plus years pretty well because states have encroached, encroached, encroached on more and more of those. And the courts keep striking them down. And we're still in the midst of that. That's still happening. So this is one of those where New York state was one that said, if there's any reason for us to not give you a permit to carry, we're going to do that. Which the court said, well, you can't just decide, you can't look for reasons. You have to let reasons happen, essentially. So if a reason, and this is really starting to strike at the idea of even having to have a permit. They didn't quite go that far. But they are saying that uh, if 
if you have a problem on your record, you have a criminal record, well, that is a reason why a state could say you can't carry. But if, if the state is looking for those things and kind of arbitrarily deciding and making them up, which is kind of what New York was doing and blue states like to do, is retain the power for themselves, not really define what it means that they can just say no, uh, that's unconstitutional. And the court decided that this week. What I love, though, um, because that's, that's the basis of, or the basics of that case. What I love, though, is that there was a dissent here. So six to three was the ruling. You had the three more left-leaning judges, the liberal judges, as you'd call them. Some people would say the non-constitutional judges. In their dissent, <clears throat> they brought up a whole bunch of points that Justice Alito actually issued a statement on their dissent and said, most of your dissent doesn't mean anything. And it's not even related necessarily to this law. It's related to the way you decide cases. He says, and I'll quote here, in light of what we have actually held, it is hard to see what legitimate purpose can possibly be served by most of the dissent's lengthy introductory section. Why, for example, does the dissent think that it is relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years? Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? Will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows that it is illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of the list, its own list, took place in Buffalo? The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. <laughs> what is the relevance of statistics about use of guns to commit suicide? What he's saying strikes at the very heart of the philosophical difference between a so-called conservative or constitutional judge and a so-called liberal or non-constitutional judge, that they're not using the law to determine the law. They're not using what's written to determine what should be legal. What he's saying is we don't make laws. Why would you cite stats in determining what a law is or if it's constitutional? The stats have no bearing. What he's saying is it could even be a bad law. The legislature comes out and writes a terrible law. You have to understand that's the legislature's job. The people elect those people to write laws. And if they write a bad law, you can't just decide, unless it's against the Constitution, you can't decide that it, you don't like it and overturn it. So I love what he's saying here. He's saying you're citing statistics as if it has any bearing on this case. The only thing that matters in determining this or really any case is ultimately, does it follow the U.S. Constitution? And if it's not explicit in the Constitution, does it follow precedent? Because if, <laughs> well, we'll get into Roe separately. Like I said, I teased that at the beginning of the segment. We're going to talk to Austin Ruse next about that very topic, Roe versus Wade, here on Wiggins America. America. I woke up in darkness, surrounded by silence, so where, where have I gone? On the phone with us this morning, so glad you could join us, Austin Roos from CFAM. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So let's jump right into Roe versus Wade. I can't believe we're talking about this this morning in my lifetime. I'm not sure I ever thought I'd be sitting here telling you, you know what, uh, there is no more Roe versus Wade, <laughs> it, but it happened. You've got to be thrilled. 
Well, you know, uh, that's exactly what I wrote. We're doing a symposium uh, at uh, Crisis Magazine uh, that's going to be up later on today. And that's the first line that I wrote is, I cannot believe this happened in my lifetime. I didn't think it would. Yeah. So what are all the ramifications? Let's talk about legally first, but I want to talk about culturally, too, um, because this is such a a heartstring issue for everybody. I mean, every side possible. Um, But let's talk legally first. What do you expect is going to happen with all these trigger laws? I mean, are we, you know, we're one day into it now. Are all the trigger laws in effect? I mean, is that done now? Well, you know, that is a good question, and it's and it's uh, probably beyond my uh, knowledge. It's kind of funny, but, you know, I've been sitting here in Northern Virginia and uh, listening to MSNBC because it's just so entertaining. And uh, they're talking about St. Louis. You know, uh, St. Louis is all over MSNBC today because – of the one remaining abortion clinic and the trigger law and your attorney general and the governor. So I, I guess that some of the states have to take at least a, a, a little step that they may have these laws that would go into effect if Roe is overturned, uh, but that, you know, somebody has to sign a piece of paper. Um, uh, and then other states have, you know, it's funny that they're calling them zombie laws because I'm convinced that they kept these old abortion laws on the books precisely so they could say, oh, golly, abortion is still against the law in Michigan. Don't you know that? And that was simply because these laws were still on the books, though Roe overturned all of them. They kept them on the books. So what's going to happen? You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a 50-state battle. Well, that is fascinating to hear that about Michigan and states like that. I did not know that. I've been looking at a map all morning of which states had either restrictions or trigger laws that would go into effect right away. And you mentioned us here in Missouri and St. Louis. Yeah, that is uh, we've been making national news for that reason. And I think and this is why it's you know, there's a lot of dust to be settled right now because a lot of, you know, all of a sudden now we got. 50 different laws in 50 different states, but a lot of laws that I've seen were fashioned after the Missouri law or the Texas law. So I think there's dominoes that are going to be falling and, and maybe even by Monday, we'll have a better understanding of what's legal where and what goes into effect where. But uh, as you're sitting here today, you know, president of CFAM, <laughs> what what are people telling you? I mean, is this is this just a shock across the board? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, I don't know... Let me just say this about about this victory today. You know, I wrote a column in Crisis, you know, I, I, last month uh, uh, when the Alito uh, draft came out, and and I said, hats off to the legal and political arm of the pro life movement. You know, the much maligned legal and political uh, arm of the pro life movement. You know, who yeah. came under a lot. That part of the movement came under a lot of uh, criticism because they said, oh, it's too, you know, the pro-life movement is too aligned with the Republican Party and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but today is kind of their day uh, because, you know, the, 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 the political and legal arm of the pro-life movement worked really hard over these years to elect, you know, pro-life legislators in the states, pro-life legislators at the national level. Uh, you know, uh, uh, presidents who would pledge to appoint pro-life justice or justices who would who would follow the Constitution. And all of this finally lined up. Um, so I say hats off to the pro-life, uh, to the legal and political arm of the pro-life movement. But I also point out to everybody that the pro-life movement is broad and deep and vast. You know, there's all these people standing in front of abortion clinics saying prayers even today. Um, so anyway, it, it, for me, it, it, it is a remarkable victory for the pro-life movement. 
But we also have to remember there's a lot of people that are hurting today. And as I say in, in, in my in my crisis uh, comment later on today, you know, we, we ought to be praying for the people who are really suffering because of this, who may be on the other side of the issue. Certainly, certainly. I mean, that's that, you know, we have a lot of people. You always see people praying outside of abortion clinics. I'm sure that that will be part of the prayer is that, you yeah. know, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are going to be. Even if maybe they don't quite understand what this That's means right. because they they may say, oh, Roe versus Wade is overturned. They may not understand that that means that it goes back to the states because a lot of people have had those conversations. They don't quite get it yet. But That's um, right. That's right. But where do you think the, you know, as we kind of said, you, you kind of alluded to, the battle almost is beginning now. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of the battle where uh, we, a lot of these conversations are really going to ramp up in ways that they haven't before or they've been happening in circles that we talk in, but the general population doesn't necessarily get into these deep discussions, but now may have to. Uh, where do you think that the average person needs to sort of inform themselves? Is it is it on the science? Is it on law? Where do you think they should go? Well, you know, I think that the arguments remain the same, at least from our point of view. You know, so much, uh, so, so much uh, of the public perception of the abortion issue, as you say, changed because of medicine and science. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the the sonogram photograph on on the refrigerator, I think, changed a lot of hearts and minds. You know, the first picture of baby is now in utero, and everybody sees the humanity of the unborn child. Uh, I think that the partial birth abortion debate changed a lot of hearts and minds. I, I truly think that the arguments remain the same. Uh, that the, the unborn child is human, first of all. Uh, second of all, uh, abortion hurts women, and there's a lot of post-abortive women in the public square telling their stories. You know, now they're going to be telling them a whole lot more. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, you know, I, I, I figure that New York, California, Illinois are going to keep abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy, and therefore the abortion levels are going to remain fairly high. Um, you know, uh, but in other states, it's going to be illegal, like in Missouri and and uh, a bunch of other states. I'm w- a little bit worried about, you know, the, 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 the president's executive order uh, on uh, FDA approval for abortion drugs. Somehow that's that's going to wheedle its way into pro-life states. So I, I think that the pro-life movement has been very creative these last many years. And I think now we're going to see the pro-abortion movement have to get very creative as well. Yeah. Well, Austin, that's very interesting that you say that. Austin Ruse is on the phone with us. He's president of CFAM, that's Center for Family and Human Rights. Um, the, the one question I keep coming back to in this, and I'm almost glad to hear you say, boy, I don't know what's going to happen because that's where I feel like everybody <laughs> is right now. It's it's such a huge deal. I mean, this is one of the biggest political uh, shifts in probably in my lifetime that we're seeing right now. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things are going to be changing and, and we're going to watch this play out. And you, you mentioned being in St. Louis. I actually live across the river in Illinois. Yeah. So I get to see this. They're, they're actually increasing funding and building up yeah. abortion clinics where I'm at in Illinois because it is right across the river from Missouri. So they're anticipating a lot of travel from more conservative states and states that uh, it'll be harder or impossible to get an abortion. I guess well, my, I remember. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, growing up in uh, St. Charles, uh, there across the river from. Oh, you did. And, 
I did. <laughs> and my family's still there. And uh, when uh, the, the drinking age in Missouri was 21 and the drinking age was lowered in Illinois to 18. And for a couple of years, we, we used to make trips across the river to, uh, to go drink schooners of beer at Vanzo's. Uh, so uh, I don't want to draw a parallel, but I think a lot of people are going to be crossing crossing the border. Um, uh, you know, sadly, uh, from Missouri to Illinois and places like that to, to, to get abortions. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. here's the, ex- the exciting thing for me is that I immediately started thinking, golly, what's the best pro-life group in the state of Virginia that we can start giving money to? You know, it's now closer to us. I mean, we mm-hmm. can really try to affect the outcome of the law. We can now go to the state house and knock on doors and lobby. When before there was this great big boulder in our way called Roe v. Wade, and now we can really try to affect the law. To me, that's exciting. It is, and it's so. It is so much about grassroots at this point, like you said, because. Uh, and I think we talked to a, a local foster care provider recently about this issue. They're, they're ramping up. You know, they're got to get ready. Because I don't know necessarily we're going to see a baby boom, but it's certainly right. not going to be the opposite direction where we're going to see less babies born. Uh, we could we we really probably are going to have to see people stepping up, whether that be in your churches or individual families, um, you know, doing foster care and things like that. So definitely something to, to focus on and, and to give money to great organizations like that. Austin, we are just about out of time here. I, I did want to say, though, the one thing that we we Illinoisans cross into Missouri to get is fireworks. So it, I don't know if you remember that from being here, but there was, that's one thing we can't get. So we got to go into Missouri I, to get our fireworks. I ran a wholesale fireworks stand in Gray Summit, Missouri. Oh, you're kidding uh, me. One summer and people would cross over and buy out of these big trucks that I ran. So, yeah, I, I understand so how know. that works as well. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Austin yep. Roos from CFAM, thank you so much for your time. Let's stay in touch as this plays out, okay? Anytime. Thank you so much. Be well. All right. Thank you. More Wiggins America almost over here. Stick around. We're almost at 8 o'clock. We'll be right back. Wiggins America. Gosh, what a ridiculously big week this has been. And it's entirely because of the Supreme Court. So typical politics have not been, there's really been nothing this week that is that big other than this is the end of this Supreme Court term. And it's actually not over yet. There's still probably at least one more day, if not two, of cases that they'll be issuing opinions on Monday and Tuesday. So tune in for that. We'll, of course, be covering that. And I'll be covering that on Tuesday because I'll be hosting the Annie Fry Show. But uh, there's more to this. So all this week, and, and none of it's bad. It's all good news. I'm not sure I've ever seen this before because usually when they come out with a big landmark decision and there is no bigger decision than Roe versus Wade being overturned along with the Casey case, if you know that, that had to do with other aspects of abortion that was decided in 1993, both of them were overturned. <laughs> so, obviously, you know the story by now that abortion gets kicked back to the states for states to decide what they want to do with it. This one didn't even get talked about. We also, I mean, the gun law that got to overturned out in New York, the Miranda rights, many other things. This one, usually a pretty big case, it hasn't even been discussed 
at all. North Carolina Republican lawmakers won the right at the Supreme Court level to intervene in court and defend the state's voter ID law. How about that? Supreme Court on Thursday ruled that two Republican legislatures in North or legislators in North Carolina can join a lawsuit to defend the constitutionality of the state's voter identification law. That case went eight to one, so it wasn't even a six three five four decision. We're talking about Breyer and Kagan joining. Of course, only Sotomayor. Sotomayor is the new RBG. She's the only one to dissent in that one. Opinion written by Neil Gorsuch stating that there are two people challenging the voter ID law in North Carolina, and they were told by their own, <clears throat> I think their own courts, that the, the Republican-led legislature, which passed that law, can't join in to defend the law. And the Supreme Court said, uh, yes, they can. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it'll go the way that we want, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. At the center of this case is voters requiring photo ID to cast a ballot, and it directs county election boards to provide ID cards at no cost to voters. So this is a fight for the state's voter ID law. The state has a Democrat Secretary of State, but a Republican legislature that passed the law. And of course, Democrats do not want voter ID. Why? I don't know. You can get one. You don't have to pay anything for it to get one. It just determines who you are. That's all it does. Uh, but Democrats don't want that. Oh, by the way, polling on this issue, outstanding. The vast majority, I'm not talking about like 50%, I'm talking about like 70-something percent of Americans want voter ID laws because they make sense. Democrats catch up on that one. Wiggins America, you can get the podcast anywhere. You look, Just type it in, Wiggins America. See you next week. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.